You're listening to an Economy Matters podcast produced by the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. The Federal Open Market Committee concluded a two-day meeting earlier today. The pace of job today. growth has been strong. Downside risks to the outlook for the, the economy. number of Fed officials. The shadow banking system is large. We've come a long way since the darkest day of the financial crisis. Hey, welcome to another Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta podcast. I'm Charles Davidson, staff writer with Economy Matters, the Atlanta Fed's digital magazine. I'm talking today with Stuart Andreessen. Stuart is director of the Atlanta Fed's Center for Workforce and Economic Opportunity, and Melz Dezeu. Melz is a senior analyst in the Atlanta Fed's Community and Economic Development Department. Guys, thanks for your time today. Thanks, Charles. Thanks for having us. Yeah, sure thing. So uh, we're doing, this is one of our first pandemic era podcasts, and I'll admit the first I've done with a dog in the room. So uh, so we'll see how it goes as we push into a little bit of a new frontier here. But what we're going to talk about today is a really cool new uh, new online instrument that, uh, that these guys created called the Unemployment Claims Monitor. Uh, so first off, guys, can we talk a little bit about um, what prompted the, the launch of this tool? I know that you put it together very quickly and got it out uh, in early May, I believe. So uh, what spurred the idea and um, how did you guys uh, bring it to fruition so fast? Thanks, Charles. Um, I, you know, you're right. So we, we conceived of this tool right at the beginning of the pandemic. We had seen just I, I, I think that it actually was kind of born in the first weeks of, of the, the country shut down and what we saw happen with unemployment claims um, shooting up really quickly. Um, and in that first week, we saw just huge variation in terms of what was happening state to state and what was happening across the country. The, the national numbers were incredibly high, but then there were some states that had incredibly low numbers. And we knew that there were certain people that were going to be feeling the economic shocks of, of the pandemic more than others. And we wanted to try and understand what that meant. And, and so a, a number of people across the bank started just really exploring everything that we could learn about unemployment insurance and what it told us about what was happening week to week. And, and I think that we actually started to get interested in building the tool for a couple of reasons. As we talked to people who administered the unemployment insurance system, we learned that with the passage of the CARES Act, the, the world was going to be really different. There were, there, there's, a, there's always been a number of kind of special unemployment programs that, that touch people um, that don't get reported in that headline number. I should mention that unemployment insurance has traditionally been for traditional employees of a firm that, play, that pay unemployment insurance um, premiums to, to cover their workers. Now, those, um, those employees are ones that receive a W-2 every year. If someone works as a contingent worker or a contract worker, uh, you know, people might call them gig workers or, you know, someone that receives a 1099 at the end of the year rather than a W-2 would not have traditionally been covered. But with the passage of the CARES Act, there was a, a new program that, that covered those workers, 1099 workers, to receive compensation for lost work. Uh, very similar to the unemployment insurance system. Um, the CARES Act also through that program extended coverage to a number of other workers, workers that hadn't worked in uh, in their job long enough to be eligible. You know, there's usually a waiting period um, for eligibility for unemployment insurance. 
um, or they hadn't worked enough hours to, to actually qualify for the program. And we, we saw states across the, across the country doing very different and interesting things with unemployment insurance to help people weather the, weather the, the challenges of the pandemic and, and weather the challenges of losing their job because of the pandemic. But we knew that just looking at that traditional number as, as things unfolded was not going to be enough. Um, and it was really the, the work of MELS to, to find ways to take a lot of the data that was coming out from a number of different places and turn it into something that we, we really wanted to get out to the public to be a service to researchers or to policymakers to kind of get a fuller picture, both of everyone that was experiencing disruptions, but also some insight into who among uh, among the entire set of workers was experiencing that. So, you know, we, we've been able to look at what industries uh, unemployment claims are coming from and the, the demographics of unemployment claimants and to understand how, um, how this pandemic's been really affecting the economy. So do we, do we have a good sense yet for who's using it, using the tool? Well, we, we know that the tool has been, I'll say a couple of things. We know that the tool has been very popular and we've been getting a lot of feedback. We've heard from, um, from national associations that work on unemployment insurance issues. We've heard from researchers. So we know that researchers are, are, are getting it. I've had calls from everyone who's been in uh, all types of researchers, those that are in the applied world, thinking about how to focus strategies on economic development and economic resiliency to uh, people in, in the academic world. It's also getting used by practitioners. We've, we've shared it with people who are kind of coming up with their, their COVID recovery strategies to understand who's been impacted. So we know that state and local policymakers are using it. And, and to some extent, we know that workforce boards are using it to figure out how they can target who has lost their job. We think that it'll be useful for that as people kind of can figure out where their skills overlaps between those who have lost their jobs and where there's gonna be some more hiring and, and economic activity happening. Yeah, so, so are there things that we've learned during this bout of uh, this huge surge in unemployment that um, ha have things that have been surprising or that you know, maybe are, are, are particularly valuable pieces of knowledge? Yeah, I would say so. So first of all, it, uh, uh, all the data that's being displayed in the tool really helped us confirm some of the trends that a lot of other media and researchers uh, had already picked up nationally. So how this crisis is hitting certain groups like, like women or young workers particularly hard. And, and, you know, the by now famous or infamous images of these huge spikes in unemployment, the huge spike in unemployment claims. But I think one of the interesting things that our tool has added to the discussion is to show how some of these trends differ uh, across, the, across the country, uh, differ by state, and that there are some pretty striking uh, geographic differences which you know could point to a variety of factors like uh, differences in timing of lockdown policies or in when the virus really hit certain states or differences in states' ability to process uh, unemployment insurance claims or, or in the industry mix of, an, of a state. And in terms of what groups are, are hit harder, so I, I mentioned already, so women, young workers, but there's some pretty striking geographic differences. So 
um, for instance, we, we look a lot at the southeast of the US. Um, uh, so nationally, about 52% of UI claimants are women. That's more than their share of the labor force, which is about 47%. Um, but if you, if you zoom in, and, and it's pretty easy to do that using the tool, if you zoom in on certain individual states in the southeast, if you look at Alabama, Florida, Louisiana, Mississippi, uh, women's share of UI claimants is 60%, so quite a bit higher than the natural average. So in, in these states, this, this trend is particularly severe. Um, Do we know why that might be, Mels? That's, that's a good question. It, it could depend on the, the industry mix in states. We really need to do some more research to, to figure out what's driving that. Yeah. So speaking of the, the geographic differences, so Florida and certain pockets elsewhere in our region too are, uh, is uh, obviously heavily reliant on tourism, leisure and hospitality. So have we seen Florida get hit especially hard here? Yeah, so for particularly if you look at accommodation and food services industry, that's been particularly hard hit in Florida. So it's about uh, a quarter of UI claims are centered in, in that industry, uh, which you know, on average, that, that has an effect on a certain subset of, of workers. So you definitely see that, see that in the data. It's, it's really interesting to see which, and, and that's the same in, in Nevada as well, which has been um, particularly hard hit in this, in this sense. Yeah, so yeah. Well, the, uh, how, so how does this feed through to help inform Fed policy? Maybe that's a, I know that's kind of a, a large question, and, and this thing is still pretty new, but, you know, how, how does this tie to the formulation of monetary policy? You know, in terms of what this, uh, what, what the tool can tell us about um, how our leadership and, and, and Fed leadership across the country sets monetary policy is, you know, we, what we hope would to do with it is to provide another view of, of what's happening with unemployment. Um, and, I, and ideally, I'll be honest, hopefully another view of what's happening with recovery. You know, so this tool is updated every Thursday. New data is available every Thursday, and we get to see a view of, of what's happening week to week. Now, weekly data can be messy. So, you know, we don't want to draw too many conclusions from one, any one week, but we can certainly start to see some trajectories and what's happening when we start looking at it over time. Now, we know for example, that in, in some of the early weeks of the pandemic, 6 million people got on a computer um, or found some way over a phone system or even potentially some in person to apply for unemployment insurance. Now, not all of those people ultimately were, were granted unemployment insurance. Not all of them were eligible. Some there were challenges. There may have been more because some people may have delayed filing or some people may have made a mistake and had to refile a week later. So we know that there's ton of information that comes from that. And, and that's, to some degree, uh, a good indicator that that many people are, are self-reporting some disruption in, in, their, in their job. Now, it's not the only view. We know that there's other things that we use a lot that feed into what you would think of as the headline unemployment rate, which is a, a different survey and a different um, set of data that, that pulls that number. It comes just from a whole different category. But it, the, the tool helps us do a few things. It helps us see some of the things that are happening on a, on a more frequent and, and timely basis since we're getting stuff weekly rather than that 
unemployment rate number, which comes out once a month. But the tool also helps us really understand in, in pretty close to current time what's happening to specific populations. Now, we know that different demographic groups have long experienced the economy differently. Um, minorities have dealt with much more challenging economic conditions. Their unemployment rate tends to be significantly higher. One of the things that we're interested in is seeing how that pans out in this, in this pandemic. I'm particularly interested because this is the first time basically ever that we have information on how contingent workers and, and gig economy workers are recovering or, or dealing with job loss. And so we're interested in tracking that. Now, I don't have any conclusions to say on it because we have to do a lot more digging to understand that. But that, those are things that, that we want to consider, or, or I hope that, that, the, that we consider, um, is thinking about who, who's affected and how they're affected. And that helps us make decisions and is, is one of the points that I think gets weighed in, in monetary policy decision making or could, could influence monetary policy decision making. Is that, Stu, is that where the, the richness of the data that this tool captures comes into play. I mean, you you look you could folks you can go look at the the tool online, of course, and you can see that it just it includes numerous numerous breakdowns demographically by industry and so on. So so is that why that's important? Because it's basically just offering up potentially at least new insights that that may not have been at least readily available before. Well, I'll answer that two ways. I think that some of the new, new insights are those around the, the contract workers, the 1099 workers, and, and those that are not eligible for unemployment insurance as it existed. So that's not exclusively gig workers, but people that are not eligible. That's, those are gonna be new insights. We have not had data on that before in the same way. There's certainly been people who have approached research on that, but not in the same way with kind of weekly readily available data. The other data is publicly available, but we're hoping to make it a lot more accessible and usable to not only expert, but to, to a much broader audience. And so that's what we really hope to do with this. Well, what's do now, now and, or Mel's, now this may, uh, may be getting ahead of things a little bit, but um, is, is it possible to, to, to mine this data and, and see any signs at all for how likely particular jobs are to come back? I mean, you know, there's speculation. We've heard, um, you know, from dire predictions of 40% or so unlikely to come back to more optimistic projections. But is, is there anything in this that, that helps to inform those kind of predictions or, or, or maybe not? Well, it's, it's difficult because these data are backward looking. And so, for instance, one clue that, that you could get on that uh, to answer your question um, is we have data on where claimants have worked in terms of industry, where mm -hmm. claimants have worked in terms of what their occupation was. Um, uh, unfortunately, with the exception of in some states, those data are mostly uh, monthly. So there's some, uh, some delay on that. There's just a handful of states uh, that have May data available. So that, that gives you some clue on where people are continuing to, to, draw, to claim unemployment insurance and where there's actually a downward, uh, downward trend uh, in which occupations and in which uh, uh, industries, but it's backward looking. So you, you need to be a little careful with interpreting those data. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what, can I, 
can I add on that? That I, yeah, I think sure. that we we're we're in work that we see closely aligned with the tool, but not directly in the tool is is looking at strategies that the communities and states have have come up with to to help reskill rapidly reengage people with work because often one of the best things that you can do for someone who's gotten on unemployment is to reengage them with work. Um, we're looking to build some frameworks to understand how how do things transfer easily? How do people move from one industry to another and where, where are there quick and easy overlaps? We've seen some really wonderful programs in many states that have created those exchanges. Um, and so um, we're hoping to, to kind of broaden that and share some of those ideas soon. Yeah, Stu, any, could you cite maybe just a one a quick example or two of, of programs like that that seem to be working so far? Sure, I'll talk about one that, that grew relatively quickly. I, you know, went from non-existent to over 2,000 participants in, in just a matter of weeks during the pandemic in, in Tennessee called the Tennessee Talent Exchange that was run by their Department of Labor that really looked to actually move people from hospitality industries to transportation and logistics and retail positions that were not affected, like grocery. Now, these are not necessarily always, these are often lateral moves for people, but it keeps them engaged in work, keeps them earning money, having benefits that they need to, to live their life. So that program has grown really quickly and they're looking at future phases of it that help people transition to healthcare and to IT, other industries that we think will be around. The, the, the state of Tennessee particularly sees a strong during this. So, so that's, that's one example. We've seen that similar, similar programs in, in New Jersey and other states that are relying on some of their labor data to, to do that. And those, those are very encouraging. So for people that are interested in the Tennessee Talent Exchange, we actually had a webinar with, with the team from Tennessee that ran and stood up that program in our Ask Us Anything series. Cool. So, so Stu and Mel's, you know, there've been widespread reports of, of uh, a lot of people who have lost their jobs have had difficulty getting through on the phone, getting through websites as these state, uh, state offices have been um, really just deluged with, uh, with people. And they, I guess, really were not designed to handle this kind of sudden huge influx. Do, do we get a sense from, from our tool as to, you know, how, how successful people have been at, at actually getting their unemployment benefits to which they're entitled? Yeah, we, we can get some indication of it. For instance, we added some data on what, what share of the workforce in any given week has filed an initial claim for unemployment insurance. And you see that some states are still seeing relatively high percentages of their of their uh, labor force still filing initial claims georgia is an, is an example of that so that that might be might be related to uh, these states clearing a backlog of cases um, there is data out there on kind of the length of time it's taking states to process how long it takes states to go from a claim being filed to disperse payment we're hoping to add those data to the to the tool soon yeah yeah well, so Mel's, I think this is probably a question for you, just the, the sort of uh, mechanics of putting this tool together. You know, we don't want to get too, delve too deeply into the weeds here, I think, but it, it sounds like it was quite an undertaking to pull this thing together so quickly and to, to set it up so that you had so many streams of data feeding into it. Can you talk just a little bit about 
you know, what that was like, how you guys went about kind of building this thing. Sure. So I think one of the, the main benefits of our tool is all, all of these data are publicly available. Most of it is coming from the U.S. Department of Labor, but that doesn't mean that it's easily available. Uh, you know, these, these data are dispersed over multiple files. Uh, and so uh, some of the data is only available in PDF documents. And so what we're really doing is we've, uh, we've created a, a program to, to capture all of these data from the, from the various uh, data files and to put it in one place. And that feeds into the, the tool that, that you're seeing. So now going forward, let's assume that at some point things are gonna get better. Are, are, do, do we envision this tool being around for the long term, or is it more something that we're gonna, we're gonna use as long as the unemployment situation remains kind of dire and then, uh, and then maybe put on the shelf? Well, my hope is, I, I, I think that, unemployment claims, here's, here's my personal view on unemployment claims, is that a lot of times they can be a pretty good leading indicator of things that are happening. You know, while, while even backwards looking, I think it's gonna be interesting to watch, particularly some of the specific information in terms of where we see claims starting to decrease and to drop off in terms of industries. That's gonna give us some indication of, you know, early signs of some improvement. This pandemic's been so unique. Plenty of people have used the word unprecedented, but if you think about the definition of the word, it's probably true that it's unprecedented. Had this played out like previous recession, having this tool up and running gives us an idea of things that are starting to unfold before the world, before you know, some leading indication that things are happening. So I think that the tool is useful both in terms of it current situation showing what's happening, but also helping us monitor what's happening in the economy going forward. So I, I imagine that we'll, we'll keep it running going forward so that we can, we can use it to track the recovery and, and keep an eye on, on the future. Yeah, so uh, I, I understand that this uh, thing, this tool has proven to be pretty popular and this, um, has gotten pretty widespread notice. Uh, you guys mind talking a little bit about maybe some of the folks you've heard from about it? Sure. Mills, you want to start off? Yeah, so I, I think um, just a variety of researchers in academia, for instance, have reached out to us and are hoping to use these data. One of the really interesting, uh, as Stu was talking about, data points that, that we kind of make easily accessible is this data on the pandemic unemployment assistance recipients, data on uh, pandemic uh, emergency UC program that's really only that, that's really hard to to find or capture and so we're making it pretty easy easily available and we've heard from various researchers that are hoping to uh, do work with with those data and and I think that so in conversations that I've had with the tool it's, it's helped out national media understand some of the things that are going on I've had the opportunity to talk with a number of reporters from from national media who are, are using the tool to, to understand what's happening, to, to track what's happening with, with the new programs and, and where there's disparities. And so that's been, that's been, it's gratifying to know that it's getting used. I, I'd also say that it's, it's gratifying when we've had the opportunity to talk about the tool with, with local workforce programs. I got the chance to talk about it with, with groups that were, that were navigating training programs 
in, in a number of different situations and, and just hearing some of their thoughts about the things that mattered to them were really important. And we're actually taking a lot of that feedback and thinking about features that we can add to the tool that help answer some of the questions that we're hearing from them. Very cool. So is it possible that, that, that this tool can help to inform not just monetary policy, but also the formulation of policy kind of in real time? Let's say if, you know, as Congress or others debate whether the, the unemployment, additional unemployment benefits or traditional unemployment benefits are going to expire at a certain point, uh, d does there need to be more funding channeled into those? Could a tool like this help to inform that, uh, that debate? It certainly could. It certainly could. We don't know, you know, exactly what's going to unfold on the policy side or on on the economic side in, in the coming months. But we hope that making the, the data useful, whether it's at the federal, state, or local level, helps inform those decision-making processes. We think it could be really helpful. Okay. Well, guys, any, anything I've left out, anything that you guys think is especially important or interesting that um, that you want to bring out? Yeah, so I just want to add on one thing that Stu was just mentioning about kind of the disparate effects or differences in how minorities are experiencing this economy. And, and we are seeing some evidence in our, uh, so we, we have data on dem demographics of UI claimants, and we're seeing some evidence that particularly Black workers are making up a, an outsized share of those, and, and definitely in the Southeast. So we're, we were looking at Alabama, Louisiana, where, um, for instance, 40% of UI claimants are black, though they, they make up just 25% of the labor force. So they're, they're really um, experiencing some outsized hardship that uh, I think is pretty interesting to, to policymakers. Do we have any inkling as to why that might, is it mostly have to do with what types of jobs are involved there? That's, that's, what I think it depends on on the industry mix and on kind of the the subset of workers in those industries and certain industries have been harder hit in this economic crisis. So yes, I think that's what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's... and I think those things are the exact types of things that policymakers and and organizations that are supporting workers need to think about. They need to realize and understand where there are specific economic pain points and make sure that they're reaching out to the communities that especially need support. Great point. I think that's a nice, uh, though not especially cheery, a, a, a nice way to uh, kind of wrap things up. So Stu, Mels, thanks so much for your time. It was really interesting. I appreciate it. Thanks, Charles. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening. Please go to frbatlanta.org. There's plenty more on this and other topics related to economics and monetary policy, as well as additional podcasts. Thanks so much. This has been a production of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta. For more podcasts on this topic and others, please visit the Atlanta Fed's website at frbatlanta.org.